It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Blackenburg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Take care of Tucker. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk, proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito, and welcome to episode 139, an episode that I have titled Women and Children First. Now, you may get the reference, you may not. If you're a younger person right now, you may not get the reference because, you know, women and children were all, you know, what's a, well, <laughs> what's a woman, right? I mean, but anyway, women and children first. If you're of a certain age, you'll get it. If you've seen Titanic, 
You'll get it if you know anything about the history of the Titanic or tragedies of that ilk. You understand what the reference is. It's a reference to a sinking ship, which is what is happening right now to the New York Islanders. But first, let's get the business side over with here. If you are on social media, and that's Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, there are links to my accounts on those platforms in the show notes. Please go down, click on them, and let's connect. And um, as I mentioned in the last episode, I started a TikTok, and I actually don't think I've been on that TikTok since the last episode, so I don't even know. But um, trying to start something on TikTok, trying to spread the word about my story, um, trying to use that platform to get the, you know, just... I don't have much recourse in my fight against New York City and to get my story out and all the other bullshit. So uh, I figured I would try TikTok and use that platform to sort of uh, tell the story to a new audience and also sort of uh, build a new audience because I'd love to get into um, public speaking. So I'm going to try to use that platform for that. So if you're on TikTok or if your kids are on TikTok, um, you know, follow me. I'll follow you back. Uh, I'm trying to get to a thousand followers on TikTok so I can do a live. Uh, I'd be pretty excited to do that. And then I think, uh, I think you could start monetizing it at 10,000. Uh, I don't know if I'll have the patience to wait to get to 10,000, but, um, let's, uh, let's not put the cart before the horse. I'm trying to get to a thousand followers. I think I'm, uh, I have about 600 and, um, like I said, I'll follow you back. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, any help in reaching that, uh, that thousand followers would be greatly appreciated. Now, Joe Marisich, you've heard me message. Uh, mention, <laughs> I took, I take one sip of beer and the whole thing falls apart. Holy shit. Joe Marisich, you've heard me mention him on the show before. Joe is the local Long Island artist who created the logo for this podcast. Joe is the illustrator of Islanders A to Z, an Islanders children's book. But as I've said a million times, you don't need to be a child. You don't need to have a child to appreciate that book and appreciate the illustration. So please check the link in the show notes and order a copy of that book. And if you have an art project that needs taken care of, go to the man himself, Joe Marisich. You can get at Joe via loudegg.com or on Twitter at GraphicsJoker. Now, as I mentioned, I'm a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Every NHL team has at least one podcast dedicated to it. One of these days, I'm actually going to check. I do think the Islanders have three, not 100% positive. Um, I am part of the um, original content side, at least I should be. I'm going to check because I prefer to be over there since this is not just uh, your weekly Islander podcast. Although I say that as we're going to discuss that today, but uh, on the original content side, it started with the OG Darren from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Martinsville, the fourth line voice oh, over 300 episodes. Unbelievable. I mean, I think we're approaching 340, 350. Um, Darren's latest episode, uh, top 10 IHL fighters of the 90s, which uh, piqued my interest because I am a big IHL fan from back then. 
And uh, the list was good. Um, it's hard to really poke holes in a list like that because um, there's only so much footage out there. And the good thing was really in the second half of the 90s, the IHL took off and there were so many games on television. And I think it really started with the strike year in the NHL. So there was so much footage available. But when you think about it, the reality is it's probably – 25 to 35% of all the fights that took place are out there on video, which means there's a ton of shit that nobody's ever seen. So when you make a, when you make a list, like the top 10 fighters of the nineties, it's subjective and there's really no way to say, well, you're wrong. So, uh, I did enjoy the list. Uh, it, it's definitely uh spoiler alert i'll be uh i'll be on with darren i believe we're going to record tuesday so maybe that'll be a wednesday episode i'm going to give my top 10 uh ihl fighters of the 90s and i know our list will definitely be different especially towards the top so uh but it's definitely worth the listen if you're a fan of the ihl from back then it's probably you probably hear a few names you haven't uh thought about in a while and uh it's just good you know the some of these lists that Darren gets sent, they're so fucking stupid. It's just, it's like, what do you fucking think of doing this? But um, whoever put this list together, like I said, although I don't necessarily agree with it, um, everybody on there is worthy of being on a list. And really, for a list like a top 10 IHL list, the goal is really just to kind of get, uh, get the names back out there, get talking about them. And uh, when I do my list, it'll be the same thing. I mean, there's really... Uh, it's so hard to say because, like I said, it's so hard to to, to put a, a a real comprehensive list together when there's so much footage that nobody's ever seen. So it's a fun it's a fun practice. The list was fun, and I definitely urge you to listen to not only that episode but um, his entire back catalog, which would take you a few months, I guess, um, with over 300 episodes. Um, also, the Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. Uh, Alec, also a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network and Hit Club Hockey. Uh, his latest episode, which I thought was coming out last week, I guess it'll hopefully come out this week, um, Alec and Darren teamed up to discuss hockey fight cinema. So I think they'll talk about some hockey fight movies, or hockey movies in general, probably not just hockey fight movies, but uh, hockey movies and then maybe some hockey fight documentaries. So uh, I'm anxiously awaiting that. I do believe it's recorded. Um, because Alec did put a post out there. So uh, I believe it's recorded in the can, and uh, hopefully it comes out this week. But in the meantime, like I said about the uh, fourth line voice, check out the back catalog for Five for Fighting. Now, um, I did see that Jordan from the Five in a Game podcast uh, posted a few things uh, on social media over the last 24 hours or so. So, uh, that doesn't mean he's home. I hope he's coming home soon and, uh, we'll get some, um, Quebec hockey, uh, updates, uh, junior. Well, Quebec major junior hockey league. What's the update? Well, they still being extorted. <laughs> I mean, what, what is there to say, but we'll get some updates hopefully on the, uh, on the senior league there. And, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing his voice again because, uh, we need as much content out there from the from the little guys, from the passionate people out there that uh, that really live and breathe this stuff, and uh, and I enjoy it. So, um, fourth line voice, five for fighting, five in a game, 
check out the back catalogs, check out the current episodes, and check out the corresponding YouTube channels for those shows. Now, I didn't do it, but uh, we're going to, next we're going to hit on the Islanders and Bridgeport Islanders fight report. So this would be where I would insert the cricket sound effect. So stand by and pretend that you're hearing a cricket. Okay, because since the last episode, nothing, nothing at all. So, uh, which is funny because I keep hearing, and as, you know, if you're a hockey fan, hockey fight fan, the narrative out there is that, well, why do they have to fight after every hit? So what I did this year is I'm doing a new feature on my Twitter, and it's the, uh, let's see, I want to get it right. It's the Isles 2023-24 hits to fights ratio. So the last game was last night against Washington. In that game, the Islanders were credited with 17 hits. That brings their season total in 14 games to 256 hits. So now, obviously, if you listen to these idiots, especially they seem to all be coming from the Toronto area, the Six, the GTA, right? Well, there's fights after every hit. Well, I know what you're thinking. I don't remember the Islanders fighting 256 times. No, no. The Islanders have fought twice. So the Islanders fight roughly every 126 hits. 20, 128 hits. It took me a minute, but I got there. So every 128 hits, the Islanders have a fight. So, again, it just shoots hole, holes in the stupidity. So, um, yeah, so I don't think I have anything else. What I will say is this episode is a is a solo episode uh, because of recent events in Islander land. Um, it's pretty incredible how quick the fucking wheels can fall off of something. And that's really what's happening right now with the Islanders. Um, so instead of me typing on Twitter, uh, a 20 tweet thread, I figured, you know what, we could push the interviews off for a week and, uh, and maybe let's discuss what the hell is going on here. Uh, it's it shit's falling off real quickly. The wheels are falling off real quick here. So what we're going to do is first, we're going to have a message from DraftKings, and then we're going to talk about the state of the Islanders. And um, as I tweeted earlier, inmates running the asylum, never a good plan. Stand by. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 
please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. That, of course, you may know uh, from the movie Titanic, but it is actually uh, factual. Um, that is the uh, the song Nearer My God to Thee. This is the song that was played on the Titanic as it was sinking. And when I got up today for work and I started reading through what, uh, what was said by Casey Sezekis now, um, which shocked me. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There are certain players I expect things from and certain players that I don't. And um, this thing with Casey Sezik is uh, bad optics here, Casey. I got to tell you, uh, not that you listen, but um, but I think this is just the culmination of a really, really bad time here for the Islanders. And uh, I'll touch on the Casey Sezikis comments last. I, I want to just bring this up now. If you know me, if we're friends, if you're a listener to the show, you know that I may not be the biggest Matt Barzal fan. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm not. And I'm going to go to Hockey DB. Listen, Mazza, see, I told you I am a Hockey DB guy, uh, not Elite Prospects. I do think they're more thorough, but I am a DB guy first and foremost. Now, when Excuse me. <clears throat> when I go to Matt Barzell and his his hockey DB here, there's one thing. Now, the kid who won the Calder, this whole thing that went back to when him and Tavares were here and this sort of rivalry or whatever, you know, I know people are really down on Tavares because of what happened, and so be it. I have said from the beginning, and I will say it until my dying breath, although I hope I have something more important to talk about with my dying breath. Uh, that whole John Tavares fiasco is not all on John Tavares. I like Garth Snow, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
the minute John Tavares does not sign a deal to re-up with the team, you trade him for whatever you can get. I don't care if it's, well, let me think about it. No, 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 no. The minute this guy does not sign that deal and he goes into the offseason as a free agent, the minute you know he's not signing that deal, you trade him. He should have been traded. But, I, you know, and listen, I like John Tavares. I know a lot of people don't. I do. I do hold him responsible for what happened, but he is not the only one responsible. But I guess we needed a new hero here on Long Island. And, you know, the whole thing was, well, you know, the it was all Tavares said, the kid who won the Calder, it was disrespectful. And, well, okay. So Matt Barzell, let, let's talk about him for a little bit. Now, this is a guy who this organization, uh, Lula Marillo in particular, as of late, the last few years, has bent over backwards for. He's the face of your friend. Now, he's not really the face of the franchise, if we're being honest. Sorokin is the face of the franchise, but um, Barzal's the guy who's been the face of the franchise for the longest. Um, and you know, you go to the games and as great as Sorokin is, I still think there are more Barzal jerseys there. Plus, you know, the girls like him. He's cute. I mean, I don't know if they still love him cause he got the haircut, but, uh, you know, he's got the baby face and he's, you know, he's got the, I don't know. Does he have dimples? I don't fucking know. But Barzal's rookie year, the 2017, 18 campaign for a rookie. I mean, fantastic numbers. 82 games, 85 points, 22 goals, 63 assists. That's the only season that this guy has topped 20 goals. Hasn't topped it since. I get it. We had the COVID seasons and everything. But after that 22-goal season, he had 18 goals in 82 games, 19 goals in 68 games. 17 goals in 55 games, 15 goals in 73 games, 14 goals in 58 games. Now, if you want to say, well, if he plays 82 games in those seasons, he's definitely going to get over 20 goals. I'll buy it. That's not a problem. If you prorate it, yeah, of course, the math would tell you more than likely he's going to top 20 goals. That's what the numbers tell you. Here's what facts tell you. He didn't get over 20 goals in any of those seasons and hasn't had a 20-goal season since his first season, okay? And this is a guy that has played 13 games this year, has two goals, okay? Now, this the whole thing with him has been, well, we have to get players to play with him. He likes to pass. We have, you know, and what happens is, I think the fans of a certain age, like myself, we get frustrated with him because then what happens is Barzal scores a highlight reel goal or two highlight reel goals a season. And all of a sudden, it's all over NHL.com. It's all over social media. It's in reels and TikTok and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like, look at how talented this guy is. Shoot the fucking puck. Just shoot the puck. You can't score a goal if you don't shoot the puck. This guy, they have made so many concessions for this guy. And it was never, hey, Barzal makes other players better. This is the guy we're going to build around. 
No, the team is having to be built around him. And if you're sick of hearing my comparisons, I'm sorry, here they come again. Let's take the post-Stanley Cup team superstars and the two that I always focus on. Patty LaFontaine, he got to the team at the end of the run, and then he was the superstar for the years to come after that. The marquee player for the years after that. Check out the guys that he played with. Now, I love all the guys that he played with, but it was never a case where Bill Torrey had to go get someone to play with Patty LaFontaine. No, Patty LaFontaine made every single player he played with better. So you knew if you put a guy like Derek King on his line, Derek King was a good player. And if you put him with Patty, he was going to be an even better player. Didn't matter. And look at some of the guys that he played with. He didn't never he never had the marquee winger. Yet he's fucking Patty LaFontaine. He's in the Hall of Fame. Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to everybody's favorite, John Tavares. And I want you to go back. Put put your bitterness aside for John Tavares for a second. And look at the guys that John Tavares played with. Now, when I say this, I'm not slighting. I please understand, especially you know, like the, the guys Tavares played with. I know he played with Molson a bit. He played with Kyle Loposo a bit. I am not slighting these guys at all. I love those guys, okay? But they're not marquee players. They're good players. I mean, <laughs> Matt Molson came into his own with this organization, and he was a great Islander, and I think he just retired last year. I mean, this is a guy that was playing up until last year, and I loved him here on the island. And him and Tavares played really well. They fed off each other. They clicked. But it was never a case of, well, Johnny's playing with Matt Molson. We got to get him a marquee winger. No, because they played well together. Because John Tavares didn't need the Islanders to bend over fucking backwards and try X amount of things to bring in wingers here for him to play with. Kyle Oposo is still playing. And this is a guy that's had some pretty serious injuries, and he's still playing. Dude's a warrior. I love Kyle Oposo. But again, he's not what you would call a marquee winger. John Tavares never had the marquee winger, yet he was a fucking superstar with this team. And I know people don't want to admit it because they're mad that he left, but take, take the hate glasses off for a second. John Tavares is a universe better player than Matt Barzell will ever be. And John Tavares never needed any of his GMs, any of his coaches, to go out and find people to play with him. They put people with him, and those players got better. And why did they get better? Because John Tavares is a great player, was a great player. Now, I, I don't really know what's going on in Toronto. He's definitely on the back nine. But with the Islanders here, he's an absolute stud. And he made people better. And now the the next one, well, that's Barzell. And, you know, when Matt Barzell doesn't produce, well, we got to find someone for him to pass the puck to. He's he's not a finisher. Well, fuck, he's getting paid finisher money, isn't he? I mean, let's be honest. Before this contract, which we'll get into in a little while, dude was getting paid pretty good money. It's pretty good money to be a passer. And when he shoots the puck, he's pretty fucking good. I mean, 
remember the highlight reel goal? I think it was Buffalo. The dude can play, but he doesn't want to shoot the puck. Okay, so what are we doing here? And then finally, finally, Bo Horvat becomes available, and they get Bo Horvat. And now they are they compatible? They had a really good game a couple the last game they played together. I don't I didn't see the game last night. Full full disclosure, I worked. I didn't see the game last night. I don't know I don't know if they played together. I know that they lost to a third string goalie. Um but <laughs> what 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 are they paying this guy for? What are they paying him for? What is he going to end up with this year? 15 goals, 16 goals. The dude, <laughs> what's he making? He's making over $9 million this year. And I know the Barzal apologist, it always comes up when the Islanders play the Devils. When you look at someone like Jack Hughes, who's a fucking magician, who is just stupid talented. Like, it's insane how good he is. And... When Islander fans have the nerve to say that should be Barzal, and then it's always the same thing. Well, Jack Hughes was the number one pick, and Barzal was was a sixteenth pick. Okay, he's not getting paid. He's getting paid like a number one pick. He's getting paid like a number one player. Could you imagine where this team would be without Brock Nelson and Sorokin? Could could you even fathom where this team would be without? without those two guys. Brock Nelson should not be your best forward. Brock Nelson should be like your stud second line forward who does a little bit of everything. But he shouldn't be your sniper. Not on a team with Barzell. But again, it's this whole we we got to focus on this fucking guy. We got to just cater to this kid. Now, one of the re- the, the thing the thing that finally did it for me with Barzal was this whole nonsense with Barry Trotz. Towards the end of Barry Trotz's tenure here, you started to hear the grumblings. Well, this style is too defensive and he's handcuffing the offensive stars. And again, it's easy. It's always easy to blame the coach because while well, Barry Trotz is a defensive minded coach, Yeah, he's a defensive-minded Jack Adams-winning Stanley Cup-winning coach. So he might know what he's doing, okay? And he coaches a team that starts with the goaltender out. And then, you know, you start to hear the grumblings. And I, I don't remember the exact quote, but... I do remember Barzell making some sort of comment in the post-game interview once, and it just pissed me off. And again, it was sort of backhanded. It wasn't, didn't name Barry Trotz, kind of talked about the system. And I kind of socked it away a little bit. And then season ends, and now they talk about the meetings, the, the uh, exit meetings. And um, again, I, I swear it was Barzell. And maybe a couple of other players talk about um, the system. It's a defensive system. Maybe we need to open it up a little bit. And during that season, uh, Barry Trotz ha- uh, had family uh, illness, and I think I think someone had passed away. And 
if I was worth my salt here, I would have actually uh, looked it up and, and made a note of it, and I don't. But um, he was away for the team for a couple of weeks, and Lane Lambert was the coach. And while Lane was the coach, they kind of opened it up a little bit. The offense, offense kind of opened it up a little bit. And they still played a defensive style, but the offense was a little more wide open. And I remember people were saying, hey, look, you can kind of play this style, open it up a little bit, and everyone's happy. And in 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 retrospect, that, that time away, I wonder if that was part of like the, not the apprenticeship, but that let's see what Lane Lambert can do. And it seemed like all the prima donnas on offense that complain about the defensive style were a little happier. And, um, of course, you got 13 there. So the exit interviews happen. And now that Barry Trotz gets fired. There were rumors about Trotz because, you know, he had the, the death. I th- again, I think it was... I don't even want to guess. I I think I know what it was. It's out there. It's not that I'm speculating. I just don't remember. And I would feel like shit if I got the family member wrong, but that he may want to coach closer to home. You know, if Winnipeg had a vacancy open um, and, and I always thought that him and Lou had the type of relationship where if Barry went to Lou and said, you know, I, I, he's from Manitoba. I want to be closer to home. I honestly think Lou and Barry had that have or had well now they they're uh, they're not colleagues anymore but I honestly think Lou would have tried to work something out I do I do think Lou is that kind of guy but then time passes the Winnipeg Jet Jets job uh, Barry Trotz does not he interviewed for it and in the end he doesn't take it so. But again, there's no real clear thing out there about what exactly happened with Barry and Lou. And then, so I even speculated that maybe it was sort of a mutual thing. And maybe Lou did Barry a favor. Give him more time with his family. Maybe Barry asked for that. Lou said, okay. And I'm thinking, all right, I could see that. And then Barry Trotz did an interview on Bob McCown's podcast. Now, Bob McCown is a legendary um, Toronto sports radio guy. I'm sure he's done other things. I just know him from listening to him. Uh, I believe it was the Fan 590. And um, I think, I don't know if Bob McCown got cancelled. You know, I don't know what Bob McCown, I think he pretty much tells it like it is. I don't know exactly what happened. But now he has his own podcast. And Barry Trotz was a guest on his podcast. Flat out asked Barry Trotz, were you surprised when you were fired? Barry Trotz said, yes, I was. So the narrative that I still see some people putting out there, that it was a mutual parting of the ways, folks, it wasn't. Barry Trotz himself said he was surprised when he was fired. So this was not a mutual thing. Okay, and I don't think Trotz is one that will make something up. I honestly think if it was a mutual parting of the ways, what does Barry Trotz have to, have to gain by lying? Barry Trotz said he was surprised when he was fired. So now you go back to the little backhanded comments. 
You go back to when Barry had some time off to go tend to the family issues and Lane was the coach and all the offensive guys seemed a little bit happier. You go back to all that stuff and then you go back to the exit meetings and then you realize, okay, I'm sure that, and and I don't think it was just Barzell. I'm not saying it's all on him. I would actually, I don't know. I think in the old days, players would kind of run shit by the captain. So I don't know if it was something that Barzell talked to Anders Lee about. I don't know. But I I don't care if you believe me. I don't care if you think I'm an asshole, if you think I'm making shit up. In my opinion, the number one reason why Barry Trotz is not the head coach of the New York Islanders still is 13. He is the reason, in my opinion, that is why Barry Trotz is not the head coach of your New York Islanders. Nothing will change my mind short of Barry Trotz coming to my house and telling me, no, Joe, you're wrong. This is why I'm not the coach anymore. I think the exit meetings, uh, Barzal, who is used to getting his way, and why wouldn't he? This team, again, has bent over backwards for this motherfucker. Everything this guy wants, he gets. They cater to him. Why wouldn't he get a coach that he wants? So, to me, that is why Barry Trotz is not the coach of this team anymore. Folks, I'm telling you, you people out there that still think this is a mutual thing, go back into the Bob McCown pod, uh, podcast. I think Barry's been on twice. It was the first time. It wasn't the last time he was on. It was the time before that. Flat out says, yes, I was surprised that I got fired. Okay. So, knowing that, knowing that, and now, of course, Trotz gets fired. Of course, you know Lane Lambert is going to be the head coach. I want to say this now for the record, and I don't know how many other podcasters will ever admit this, especially the younger ones, because, you know, they're GMs on NHL 23, so they know everything. I want to get this out of the way right here, right now. Lou Lamarillo farts more hockey knowledge than I have than I will ever have in 100 lifetimes. As much as you may not like the guy, the guy knows hockey. Does he know current hockey? Does he know the way the game is played now? Does he know how to manage a team with the way the league is now? I don't know. But in terms of hockey knowledge, Lou Lamarillo knows 10 universes more than I know. He's forgotten more today about hockey than I will ever know. Let's get that out of the way right now. Lane Lambert, who I like, by the way. I liked him as a player. I'm very biased. I'm I'm going to admit that I, I think this current situation is not the best situation for Lane Lambert. But Lane Lambert has forgotten more hockey than I will ever know. I want that to be made perfectly clear. These guys, they're hockey lifers. So when you see people on Twitter and people on their podcasts, whatever, and they oh, they don't know what they're doing, they don't know what they're talking about, they know more than you. Okay, so I want to make that perfectly clear. 
Lula Murillo, when he picks fucking shit out of his teeth, that that is more hockey knowledge than I'll ever know. The dude's corn in his shit. He shits out more hockey knowledge than I'll ever know. Lane Lambert, the same thing. It's just one man's opinion here. Okay? So, now Lane Lambert's the coach. Now, I think that serves two purposes. One, again, it appeases 13. Because now 13 has something else that he wants. He has a coach who might let him go a little bit. And they got rid of the coach, again, the Jack Adams winner, the Stanley Cup winner, who is a defense-first coach. But again, 13's happy. The other thing it accomplishes, and this is, again, this is my opinion, I think this is a case where the general manager is making the decisions. And with someone like Barry Trotz, Barry Trotz is an established coach, and Lula Marillo is an established GM. But I can't help but think that if Lou tried to push some stuff on Barry, and Barry didn't agree with it, that Barry would tell him no. I just think Barry has accomplished enough in the sport where Barry would stand up to Lou and say, I'm not doing it. Where Lane, this is his first head coaching gig in the NHL. So he seems like the kind of guy that's appreciative for the opportunity. Um, probably not as eager to stand up to Lou as Barry. And again, not that anyone's eager to stand up to him, but I think with Barry Trotz, he's got the resume. Lane, his head coaching resume in the NHL is just beginning. And so I think what Lou does, he fires Barry, brings in Lane, appeases 13, maybe a couple of the other players, Wallstrom maybe, I don't know. And also now he has a coach that he can kind of control. Am I right? I don't know. This is my opinion. This is what I think from the outside. Okay, this is exactly what I think. So I think now 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 the coach is Lane Lambert. I think this is an awful situation. This was an awful situation for Lane Lambert to step into because I think with Lou as his general manager, it, it trying to think it doesn't give Lane the opportunity to grow. Because I, I honestly think Lou is the one pushing the buttons. I think Lane Lambert would have been better off starting out in a smaller market, uh, maybe with a younger GM. And, of course, right now you're thinking, well, they're all younger, can't get older. Um, but maybe someone that would have a relationship where it's it's someone – and I, I always go back to Chevy in Winnipeg um, – where maybe if he started out in a place like Winnipeg, where you have Kevin Sheveldayoff, Kevin Sheveldayoff, probably the smartest guy, smartest GM in hockey right now, um, maybe it gives Lane a chance to grow and they can kind of grow together. Where Lou, it's probably like Lane is working for his grandfather. And your grandfather is setting the ways and the grandfather's signing your check. Well, Ledecky signs the checks. But your grandfather is the one telling you how to do your job. I don't think this is a great spot for Lane to first first head coaching job. And I do think Lane Lambert can coach in this league. I just don't think this is a great spot. I think this is an awful spot for him. I think if if Barry had never left Washington, if Washington and Barry had never never uh, 
separated and Lane was still his coach. And then Barry left and Lane stepped in in Washington. That may have been a better opportunity. Um, I just think with with being under loose thumb, uh, I think Lane's in a no-win situation. I do think he's in over his head, but I, I think that part of it has to do with Lamarillo. I, I really do. And I was a Lamarillo fan for years. I, I was. I think the guy, for what that guy has done, he's a legend. And But I don't think he's adapting to what has to be done now. And he's also not going anywhere. So as much as I love John Ledecky, and I absolutely love his enthusiasm, I love his interactions with the fans, the most important thing I love about him, I love how he treats the alumni. I really do. I think it's great that the alumni now have a place. You know, you go through the whole Mike Milbury era, the Fisherman era, where he couldn't give a shit about the alumni, wanted to build his own thing here, um, get rid of the logo, all this other stuff. Um, and and the Islander alumni is second. Uh, I mean, I want to say second to none, but I guess Montreal, maybe Toronto, um, because they've been around longer, but the Islander alumni is royalty around here, especially the, the dynasty alumni. And when Milbury was here, I mean, it was a fucking joke. So now you have an owner here that treats these guys the way they deserve to be treated. So I love Ledecky for that. One thing I think, I think Ledecky's mistake is kind of giving the reins to Lou because I don't think there's any chance Ledecky ever fires Lou. I think Lou is here until he wants to be. And then when Lou wants to go, who takes over? Little Lou in Bridgeport. That's who comes in and takes over. Now, maybe he's a, he's a little part of old Lou with some new school ideas. I don't know. But I don't really enjoy the fact that this looks like the direction that the team is going to be in for a while. So, again, we're going we're gonna to get back to Casey Sezika's comments. Uh, about Lane Lambert and the fans and everything. But uh, there's been three things that have happened so far, three quotes um, from players that I really find disturbing. And it goes back to, I think, Halloween. And it was Anders Lee, who I like, by the way. I love Anders Lee. I do. Um I think he's just, I don't know if his body's breaking down. I don't know. He's just not made for the, the his body. I mean, I, I think he's heart and soul. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have kind of washed their hands on him at this point. I haven't. I do. I do like him. Um, I just don't know if it's the end of the road or not. But he said something on Halloween, and I, I, I commented on it on Twitter, and it was an Andrew Gross tweet. If you told us through the first eight games of the year that this would be our record, we'd probably take it. They were over 500 in October, but it wasn't like they were fucking dominant or anything like that. And so the record was okay, but the play wasn't that great. And I, and I said it at the time. Even when the pre-Dynasty Islanders and post-Dynasty Islanders, there was just never a part of me that would ever expect Dennis Potvin to say something like that. And that Lee thing really bugged me. 
Now, again, am I holding Lee up to a pretty high standard? Yeah. I'm holding Lee up to the best captain that the Islanders have ever had. Arguably one of the best captains the sport has ever seen. The best captain New York hockey has ever seen. You know it and I know it. And I just don't see that ever being acceptable. I also don't see it being acceptable under Brent Sutter when Brent Sutter was the captain. I don't see a Brent Sutter ever accepting that. That's not the Sutter way. I'd say Pat Flatley, but Pat Flatley was the captain during some of those Millbury years. So any month over 500 might actually be a pretty good month. But I know Flats would not accept mediocrity either. But based on the Millbury era, mediocrity might have been a good thing at the time. They were So they weren't like just awful so but you know what i mean i just i wouldn't expect that from pat flatley i wouldn't expect it from brent sutter and i definitely wouldn't expect it from dennis podvin so when your captain is saying that mediocrity is okay and of course he didn't say that and i do believe anders lee wants to win i i don't i don't question his want to okay and i don't question that Anders Lee would love to raise a cup here. I don't question that. I don't question him at all. And I'm happy that Anders Lee has been a career Islander. I hope he finishes his career as an Islander, but the way it's going, I don't know. Although, again, a lot of these guys now with the deals that they have, they're untradeable. Um, that quote bugged me. And I don't expect that from Anders Lee, but I got it. And it kind of irked me a little bit. And to me, is that sort of a problem in the room because if this is the guy that you're looking to as your leader and he's basically saying if you had asked us before the season we'd probably take it that's to me not good i don't want to hear that i i want to hear that you're fucking pissed if you're 9 and 2 okay yeah we'll take that but if you're 5 and 4 5 and 3 no, that, that that should not be good enough. And again, I'm not one of these people that expect these guys to live and breathe the game 24-7. I don't. But I also, like, I don't expect mediocrity where I work. I, I'd like to think I'm better than mediocre, and if I'm mediocre, then I apologize to my colleagues, but I, I think I'm better than mediocre, and I wouldn't expect mediocrity to be accepted. Now, I'm the furthest thing from the leader in, in, in my job, I mean, there are seven other people. They've all been there longer than me. Um, but I, nobody wears the C. But my point is, I just don't ex- I don't expect to hear that from a captain. And if, if that's coming from the captain, then what's going on in that room? And this is where I started to think the inmates were running. Well, I knew the inmates were running the asylum once Barry got fired. But... Now it's kind of like, if I'm Lane Lambert, I'm kind of pissed. I don't want my captain saying that that's okay. But anyway, I was told I was maybe making a mountain out of a molehill, but I don't know. Brings me to my next point. So, um, the fans. Now, this is a very frustrating time to be an Islanders fan. And... For those of you listening that are not on the island or have not attended a game, the Islanders Arena is absolutely beautiful. It's it's stunning. It is fucking gorgeous. It's not the Coliseum, okay? Because the Coliseum is a place where a lot of us grew up. It'll never be the Coliseum in terms of that. The building itself is phenomenal. 
And to their credit, that when that place gets loud, it's loud. For a new building, it's it's probably the loudest new building I've ever been in. Um, to me, when they tore down the Spectrum, and I don't think it's the same acoustics in, in um, Wells Fargo. I want to call it First Union Bank. <laughs> I don't know what they are. Wells Fargo Center. Um, I don't think they brought that over. I don't think many of the, the new buildings were the team came from an older smaller building i don't think a lot of the acoustics are the same they're not i mean i know they're not the same but i don't think you have the same atmosphere but ubs gets rocking a bit when uh when the team's on fire well right now they're a dumpster fire they're not on fire so now what happened and what happens is when you get a new arena like this well what do you get you get the amenities and what else do you get higher prices it's 40 bucks to park your car at UBS Arena. Now, that is unless you uh, drive a BMW. If you're a BMW driver, well, you park for free. And if there's one thing most BMW drivers need, it's free parking. Now, BMW, I think, is considered a luxury car. So unless you're driving like a beater BMW, Maybe you don't need the free parking. Maybe free parking should be, I don't know, if you have a Pinto or, uh, you know, something a little less elegant than a BMW. Plus, am I the only one who thinks people who drive BMWs drive like assholes? I know I'm not. I've had this discussion with people. But if you drive a BMW, you get to park for free while the rest of us are paying 40 bucks. Even if you're a season ticket holder, well, you get a little bit of a break. But you have to buy, here's another thing. So you can pay for your season tickets over time. Like they break it up. I think ours are broken up into 10 payments. But if you want parking, you got to pay for that all at once. And it's over a thousand bucks. I don't have a thousand bucks to spend on parking. And, and I've suggested to my reps that I've had over the years. And again, they're just, they're the reps. They don't have any say in it. If you can break up the tickets. Why can't you break up the parking? Put it in with the ticket invoice. Some people pay their tickets in full. I can't. I can't pay my parking in full. But if you put the parking in with the tickets and you break it up over 10 pay, whatever it is, I could do that. But no. So even season ticket holders, if you can't pay for your parking in one shot, you're out. So it's 40 bucks to park. So you're spending 40 bucks before you even walk in the door. You're paying for tickets that are a lot more money than you probably ever paid at the Coliseum. And now you walk in and you want to have a beer or a soda. Well, you better be prepared to spend about 20 bucks on a beer. And soda's probably 15, uh, 14 bucks, maybe, 10, maybe 9 bucks. I forget what it is, but it's more than a soda should cost. And probably the most reasonable food option there are chicken fingers and fries, which I think you pay like 15 bucks, which for a sporting event actually isn't bad. Um, they have a lot of great food options there. And if you follow the Islanders on Twitter or you follow UBS arena on Twitter, they're always touting all this different food options they have and how amazing it is and how great they look. And it's true. That shit looks fucking amazing. But they never tell you the price. There's a reason for that. Because it's fucking ridiculous. 
okay? There are a ton of different food options for you there. But if you're a family of four, you're stopping at McDonald's or something on the way and eating in the car because you know your kids are going to want ice cream or something, and even that is overpriced. So it's an expensive venture to go to an Islanders game. So if one guy goes and his buddy goes, whatever, and you're kind of on your own, it's manageable. But now if you have a family of four, you're into the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And if you see a shitty product on the ice, yeah, it might piss you off. And especially if you're someone who goes to a game or two a year. Well, okay, so this is my this is my one game for the first half of the season, and they just shit the bed. And then you go in the second half of the season, and they just shit the bed again. Now, obviously, you can't win every game, but you can kind of see the effort on the ice, can't you? Oh, yeah, you can. So you might be unhappy, and you might boo. And that's okay. Personally, I've never booed any of my teams. I, I haven't. I've been pissed, but I've never booed. Okay? And that that's... Just my preference. I don't I don't boo the players. And trust me, over the years, there have been plenty of players that have deserved boos. Now, I'll tell you flat out, I there are some players I can't stand, so whether or not I've ever booed them or not is irrelevant. But people boo, and then people get frustrated. And because this team is pretty much it hasn't evolved over the last few years and everyone's getting a little older and you're bringing in a piece here or there, well, that falls on the GM and Lou Lamarillo for all that he's done in his hockey career has been the target of some chance lately. And it, it reached the pinnacle a couple of games ago, they played Minnesota and of course they lost to Minnesota. And during that game, they uh, started chanting, Lou must go. And while this is all going on, there has been a lot of venom directed towards Lou on social media. Okay. But the Lou must go chance really, really resonated with someone who's a big Lou Lamarillo fan. And who do you think that is? 13. 13. So after the game... 13 tells the New York Post about the Lou Must Go chants. It's silly. That's silly. The chants are silly. Hold on. I have another screenshot here I'd like to read to you. Um, here's, here's another one. Lou is the man. He's He always has this team and this organization's best interest in mind. I have a lot of faith in him, and this group does too. That's just silly. Well, what do you know? What do you know? Of course 13 is behind Lou 100%. Wouldn't you be behind a guy that's willing to give you $9 million a year and you don't even have to do your job? I'd be behind someone like that too. And I do <laughs> I do agree with him in one thing. I don't think Lou Lamarillo doesn't have the Islanders' best interest in mind, I do. I think Lula Murillo would love to win. Now, some of the moves he makes would sort of say, well, what are you talking about? But Lula Murillo has won before, and I believe he'd love to win again. But again, 
when you're giving out some of the contracts that he's giving out, you make some guys untradeable. What are you going to do? Then now you're now there's the whole cap thing, and if you you're you're under the cap or you're over the cap and you don't have a lot of space, well, who are you bringing in to make a difference? But you locked in thirteen. When does thirteen? Let me see. When does he become free agent? Uh, it's like seven years from now. I mean, he signed. <laughs> Fuck. He signed through 2030-31, making $9 million bucks a year. Can you fucking imagine that? So, of course, what do you think Barzal's going to say about Lamarillo? Of course he says it's silly. But again, putting all this other obvious shit aside, that this guy got rid of a coach that Barzal didn't like his style, put in a coach that Barzal probably feels like he can manipulate. Um, pays them $9 million a year. Like aside from the obvious stuff at the end of the day, that's still his boss. So to expect Barzal to say anything other than heaping effusive praise on Lula Murillo is stupid as well. But I think he I think he was a little extra here. So I found that kind of humorous that Barzal would find the chance silly. Um because of course he's not going to agree for numerous reasons, but most of all because Lou does what what Barzal wants him to do. But as goofy as those comments were, Barzal did not cross the line that no player should ever cross. Well, cross at your own risk, let's say. Nobody's above criticism. Nobody. Fans are can be criticized. Players can be criticized. Brass can be criticized. There's nobody above criticism. But when you're a professional athlete, making a lot of money and people come to see you perform and you want to shit on the fans, that's a dangerous game. And that's the kind of thing that doesn't go away. And that's what I'm talking about waking up to today. And that was the comments from Casey Sezekis. Now, this has so many layers to it, it's unbelievable. Casey Sezekis uh, on this team is beloved obviously beloved by his teammates but by the fans absolutely beloved like he's the center on the fourth line i don't know many teams where the fan base loves the fourth line center as much as the fan base loves casey sezikis and they should that fourth line what that fourth line has done over the years for this team you know people can shit on it all they want you know, for where they are now and age is catching up and, and the body can only take so much. Um, but Casey is, he's someone that everyone kind of rallies around. First of all, the guy's always smiling after the game. You look for Casey's big smile. You look for Casey goes and hugs the goalie um, universally loved. So loved that Casey Sezekis, he has a deal that, some have said, well, I don't think people necessarily have a problem with the, the salary, two and a half million a year. 
I know some people had an issue with the term because Casey Sezikis is under contract now till 2627. For a fourth liner who plays the way Casey has played, the body only has so much in it. And I think we're seeing that with a player like Cal Clutterbuck over the last few years. Cal Clutterbuck, uh, you know, one of the premier hitters in the league since they've kept the stat. The body can only take so much. And Cal throws everything he has in every hit. He's injury prone. Um, Casey, he's a hitter too, but he's a center. So he's not on the boards as much. Um, but he plays physical. And so I don't think a lot of people had a problem with the dollars. And to be honest, I don't think a lot of people had a major problem with the term, except for the fact they would if it wasn't Casey Sezikis, because he, Casey Sezikis is almost like the people's champion for Islanders fans. He's just, when, I don't really remember ever hearing a lot of criticism about him. And I really, like, Brock Nelson used to get criticized a little bit early in his career. Like, what can you criticize the guy about now in the last four or five years? Um, There's very few players on this team that have avoided criticism from the fans. And Casey Sezikis really is one of them. Just, Just absolutely beloved. So when I woke up today and saw the tweets and everything, I was, I was really surprised. So I guess the chance last night where lane must go, you know, I think the whole must go chance started with Joe Walton with the jets. Joe must go those. I mean, that just had a, that just rolled off the tongue. Um, but lane must go. So first it was Lou must go. Then it was lane must go. Um, and Sezika said, I think this was at, you know, to Andrew Gross at Newsday. It's a joke. That kind of stuff ticks me off. It really does. I've got no time for those fans. I've got no time for them. If they want to be like that, they can stay home. Well, that's going to rub a lot of fans the wrong way. Now, I kind of think the whole post-game interview thing, especially a team like this that has to be frustrated beyond belief, you're catching these guys, and I guess it's clicks, right? I guess you want the you want the quote. The quote definitely made the rounds today, and I'm sure when Andrew and whoever else got that quote, they know they got the money quote. That's it, because that's the quote that went viral today. Um, but I, but obviously he's frustrated. Obviously the whole team is well, most of the whole team is frustrated. I guess um, you're catching these guys at the worst time. Uh, and I honestly, I think if Casey, I don't know, I'd like to think if he could take it back, he would, but I don't know. Um, that was, uh, a stupid, stupid thing to say for a fan base that has loved this guy. Now there's, um, I saw a tweet today where they compared what, uh, Sezika said to what Clutterbuck had said on Tuesday. Um, and I don't know if this was in regards to Lane Chance or Lou Chance or both. And Clutterbuck said, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I guess it's up to them whether they want to scream from the rooftops or keep it to themselves. I don't really care. They paid for their ticket. They want to say what they want to say. That's what it is. Now, on the surface, that's probably the smart thing to say. Um, again, you pay your money. And I think as long as you don't get personal, like as long as you're not, down low and you want to get personal with a player about his family or something like that. I mean, cause there's still people, um, 
I think I think anything is fair game. If they're playing like shit, you want to let them know, then okay. I think as long as you don't get personal, uh, I you know that's my thing. Um, but then someone someone on Twitter, um, his Twitter handle is Love My Teams. He brought up a great point. So it was a tweet. I think it was by Isles Fix Joe Joe Buono. I think because I fucking cut the top of it off. So he said the Sezikis quote versus the Clutterbuck quote. And again, we'll say it, Sezikis, it's a joke. That kind of stuff ticks me off. It really does. I've got no time for those fans. I've got no time for them. If they want to be like that, they can stay home. Then Clutterbuck says, everyone's entitled to their opinion, I guess. It's up to them whether they want to scream from the rooftops or keep it to themselves. I don't really care. They paid for their ticket. They want to say what they want to say. That's what it is. And then this guy, Love My Team, says... Strange how neither guy said they deserve the booze for doing a bad job. A little humility is needed here, fellas. You guys suck. Well, let me say this. I don't think he's wrong. But I think, I think, and this is when I get called a boomer, uh, I think this is what I say. Hockey has caught up to the other sports. Um, this Now these guys, you have fourth liners like, Casey Zizekas, who I love, uh, making two and a half million a year for a lot of years. Um, the money has cha- money changes people, whether you like it or not, it does. And you know, you go back a couple of decades, guys that were NHL players, some of them were working hockey camps in the summer, you know, doing different things, going back to Saskatchewan, working on the farms and the prairies. Like it wasn't a slam dunk. You know, you go back you know, a couple decades, three, four decades. Some guys needed to work. But now these guys make so much money that I think they're kind of lost. Their reality is different than the average person's reality. And hockey was the last sport that had to get to that point. All the other sports, as far as I'm concerned, have been that way since I've been following them. Hockey was the last one, and now it's here. I mean, look at any team's Twitter feed on game night. It's all these fucking guys walking in in their, their fancy suits and everyone wants to look good. Like if you listen to the Dakota interview, like he talks about, you know, buying suits at a place in Philadelphia. Um, so everybody always wanted to look good, but now it's just like, well, now do you want to look good because you want to be on your team's Twitter feed or Instagram, whatever? Are, are you pushing your brand? Like what's the deal? Every game night that the Maple Leafs play, you got Austin Matthews coming in with his weird hat, his purse, and does do his socks match his purse. Like, it's a fucking thing. So I think the sooner that the fans realize that the player's reality and our reality are two completely different things, I think you'll understand that there is a divide. Now, hockey is still the sport where... Um, it's still to me the most blue collar sport, but it's definitely not what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. It's not, um, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking today. I, I, I screenshotted a couple of things and I want to give credit to the, the tweeters, but I fucking damn it. So Somebody tweeted, Zeker and Barzi are sitting pretty with their long-term deals. Of course they're going to kiss the ring during a moment like this in reference to Barzal with uh, Lou and and Zeker with um, 
cases as he gives with Lane Lambert. On the other hand, ticket buyers can complain loudly and as much as they want. It is what it is. More valid points. And again, these guys are going to defend their bosses. And especially in the case with Lane, like I've said, I think he's in over his head. I think Lane is in a no-win situation because when the time comes that Ledecky goes to Lou and tells him, okay, enough is enough, who do you think's going? Do you think Lou's going to step down? No. Lane's going Lane's gonna to go. So Lou has another get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, um, I did I did screenshot my buddy Keith, his his Facebook today. He had a good post, and uh, it was in reply to the Casey Sezikis thing, and I'm going to read his post. I guess I'll find out if Keith listens to the show now. That's interesting. That's a good point. So my buddy Keith said, maybe I will stay home, just like Casey and his teammates have decided to. Except I paid in advance. What a sucker I am. I have been a fan of this team since 1975. Don't fucking tell me what to do, Casey. You know this fan base. You knew what was coming, and you're <laughs> and you lame asses still can't win a game. Thirty-five dollars to park, eighteen dollars per beer, and you can barely find a food item under twenty bucks. Add in my mid-range tickets, and I spend north of two hundred dollars every game. I have to say, right now, I am receiving no value for my money. We can't fire your lame asses under contract, so the coach has to take the fall. You notice how we never demanded they fire Barry Trotz? Keats a good man. He's a good man, and he's passionate, and he knows. I think he knows what he's talking about. I can't argue with anything he said. What else do I I got one more screenshot here. What is it? Uh, oh, okay. A Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat on the fire lane chance and the fire Lou chance. It's on us in the room that have to perform. I truly believe that we have a really good group of players in here and a really good hockey team. It's on us when we lose these games. Now, this is a lesson for Casey Sezikis and everyone else in the room. Whether Bo Horvat behind closed doors calls Islander fans a bunch of fucking scumbag piece of shit losers or doesn't, well, we'll never know. But when he gives an interview to the media, that's what he says. Smart, right? Smart. Keep your head about you, okay? I like Bo Horvat, and I think he can be a productive member of the team. I think he has a, uh, let's say, where is that uh, tab? He's got a 190-pound anchor around his neck holding him back, but I digress. I'm going to have one more theory, which I don't think is true, but I want to throw it out there. I wonder how close this team actually is. I do. I wonder I wonder how close any team actually is. When the money is as much as it is now, and again, it's it's not as much as it is in other sports, but you know, you hear the players that played in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and they talk about how it used to be two players to a room. And they talk about how the players went on the road, how they went out for team meals. And at home, when they were home, they'd get together a bunch. I mean, obviously, guys have family. So when you're at home, you're at home. Um, but they'd still do stuff at home. But on the road, it was always a team meal, a team function. It wasn't 
20 guys going 20 different ways or a couple of guys going here. It wasn't like that. It was a team. And that kind of stuff, it just breeds a team atmosphere. I wonder how close this group of guys really is. And again, we'll never know that, okay? We're not in the room. Excuse me. That went down kind of hard. That's what she said. Um, We're not in the room. So we'll never know how close this group is. I think we'd like to think that they've been together a long time, that they're a close-knit group. But but are they? It's different. It's just different. The, the sport is different. There's It's just not like it used to be. There was never guys... Social media wasn't a thing. And again, I keep saying it. Nobody back in the 80s and the 90s or the early 2000s were interested in their brand because they just had their hockey contract. But it was even in the even in Mick Vakota's story, the the one where it's him and Milbury in the hotel when they got snowed in, and they think it was Detroit they were in. Even in that story, it was Mick and a bunch of guys playing cards in the hotel room. I'm sure that never happens. Guys don't stay in. They don't. They don't do stuff together. There, it's twenty individuals. So we don't know how close a team this is. And and here's something I wonder. Obviously, I think as professional athletes, how you get to be a professional athlete, aside from God-given talent and hard work, is you you just you're you're, you're wired differently. And what I wonder is, are there some guys in that room that are looking at some of the other guys in the room and thinking that they're not pulling their weight? So, yeah, you're frustrated that the team is playing like shit right now. But are you kind of thinking, well, if our scorers were scoring or if someone else was doing their job, like, is that part of the frustration, too? And again, we'll never know. We'll never know. And, of course, you're thinking, if you're thinking, am I saying that someone like Casey Sasekis is looking at someone like Matt Barzal and saying, hey, if this fucker was putting in goals, maybe we'd be better? Um, maybe I don't think Casey's that kind of guy, but if that were the case and and let's take Casey and 13 out of it, but if there was a guy on a team that was on the third or fourth line that was doing his job every night and working his ass off every night, and then he looks across the room at the face of the franchise and the face of the franchise is doing anything but pulling his weight. And he's making a lot more money. Could could there be some frustration there? I don't know. Again, I'm not in a room. I don't know. But I, I think it's something to ask. And no player is ever going to admit it. No current player. Maybe a retired player would. But it makes me wonder. The guys in that room, are you looking at other players and saying, hey, I'm doing my job. Why aren't you doing yours? And look at the money you're making. You know, like season two, Shorzy, there's a scene where Sanger says to Shorzy, there's no use for goal scorers who aren't scoring. I don't think that's a that's just um, a line from a fictional show. I think there's some merit to that. But anyway, that's my hot take, I guess. Like, uh, is there some frustration boiling in the room? So um, how do I put a bow on this?
Um, I don't know if Lane lasts the season. I don't know how he does. If this team continues this fucking spill that they're on right now, I don't know if he lasts the year. Um, he won't, he's not long for this job. Let's put it that way. Um, I do hope he gets another job somewhere else. I, I would hate for this to be Lane Lambert's resume, his lone NHL job. Maybe he, if he, if he does get fired, he has to be an assistant somewhere first. And I really think there's a spot in this league for Lane Lambert. I think maybe this is just not the right spot for him. Um, and again, it might, again, it might just be because I like the guy. Um, but as much as I'm terrified and terrified in a, in a sports sense of who the GM is, if we get rid of Lou, um, who's coaching this team. If you get rid of lane, you know, for as much as everybody hated Brent Thompson in Bridgeport, well, now they got Rick Kowalski. They're not going to call up Rick Kowalski to be a head coach. Um, personally, I think the problem you're going to run into is you cannot bring in a guy with a strong personality, a big personality here, because how are you going to tell Gerard Gallant that he can't run the team the way he wants to run it? And why any coach would take this job, any coach with a sack would take this job knowing that if you run the team the way you run it and the players don't like it, they're just going to bitch to Lou and you'll probably be out the door like Barry Trotz. There's no coach out there right now with the resume of Barry Trotz that's available. Okay. Um, so if you're a coach and, and Lane gets fired and now you're coming in, well, they fired Barry Trotz <laughs> guy. Jack, again, Jack Adams, winner, Stanley cup winner. They fired Barry Trotz. So what are you, what could you possibly bring in to make you unfireable for the foreseeable future? What, you got to make 13 happy? I mean, so if you're a guy like Gerard Gallant and you're, and Lane gets fired, what are you going to do? You're going to come in and you're going to let Lou manipulate you, and then you're always looking over your shoulder because the inmates are running the asylum, and that's never a good option. So does that mean John Mc, a guy like John McLean gets the job? I don't want John McLean to coach this team. I know Doug Hood is not going to get the job. Who's coaching this team? I think that's the thing people don't realize. You want to fire Lane, I get it. Fire him. He's he's in over his head. He's not in a good spot here. I don't think he could. Lane Lambert needs to be Lane Lambert, and I think here he cannot be Lane Lambert. He's being, Lou is pushing the buttons. But who's going to come in and ha not have the buttons controlled by Lou? So I guess the question isn't who's next if Lane gets fired is what difference does it make? Honestly, what difference does it make? And then if you bring in an offensive-minded coach, well, this is this is the roster he has to deal with. And I think, you know, there, Holmstrom, is he looks very promising. Wallstrom's got to shit or get off the pot. But you don't have an offensive juggernaut here. This team is built from the goalie out. So even an offensive coach might have a shortcomings. But again, it all starts with the guy upstairs. So does it really matter who comes in next? So I don't know. So this is this is the episode that I felt like I had to do. So if any of you are listening and enjoyed this and you're still listening, 
thank you very much because I'm not sure I'd still be listening. But um, thank you. This is my uh, – and I don't even think I really vented. I, it's not like I'm angry. Uh, it's just something to talk about. And um, I know I normally don't do this type of show. And essentially what this did was push back the interviews a week. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I hope that um, – I mean, fuck, they're going on the road now. Their <laughs> first game is Edmonton tomorrow night. Edmonton just fired their coach. Congratulations, by the way to Chris Knobloch, former Islander draft pick, uh, former Hartford Wolfpack head coach, kind of got passed over with the Rangers a few times, I think, um, getting an opportunity in Edmonton. So it's just what the Islanders need to play the Oilers the first game with their head coach. I'm hoping that McDavid doesn't score 10 tomorrow night or today, depending on when you're listening to it. But, of course, is there anything more Islander than that? You're going to play a team now. First game with a new coach, you know, there's always a little extra jump in the skates, and you have two of the best players in the world on that team. So, of course, the Islanders have to play Edmonton first game with the new coach. So that'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, guys, gals, listen, this has been a pleasure. I've ranted now for over an hour. If, like I said, if you're still listening, thank you. Um, I don't know if you're going to hear a lot of this stuff on other shows. Um, I don't really go into this too much this side uh you know give the my opinion on stuff like this too often so um if you enjoy it i i that's great if you don't enjoy it then that's probably the reason why i don't do this that often but uh but stay tuned next monday i'm gonna have uh the final episode of my nordiques uh, the old Nordiques podcast uh, with Ivan Matulik. It's part one. And for those of you who are strictly Islander fans who don't know much about Ivan's story, um, I, I urge you to listen to it. Ivan is one of the toughest human beings. I, I have the pleasure of calling a friend. And um, I learned about Ivan through Mike McWilliam. And if you're old enough to remember, well, it's it's weird, right? Because now, especially if you're in, well, I say New York City, but if you're in America, you got this, these young kids saying how great communism is. It's funny. You know who doesn't say how great communism is? People who've escaped communism. They never talk about how great it is. So um, that's who doesn't say how great communism is. Ivan had to escape communism. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to go too much further into that. So, uh, But that's how far back he goes. I urge you to listen to it. Um, no, he was never an Islander, but uh, I, I, he was a fucking great guest. So that'll be next Monday. That'll be part one. We'll do part two uh, the following Monday. Um, don't sleep on this. You people out there, please don't sleep on this episode. It actually teach you a little bit about history and how shitty the, um, the communist bloc countries were and what measured measure someone like ivan had to take to get out of there so um until then oh and by the way happy belated veterans day to everybody who served because most of the veterans that i've met are world-class people especially my father um combat wounded vietnam vet purple heart recipient um so um you know thanks dad and uh thanks to everybody who served and um you know for allowing us the freedoms that we do have so it's a belated happy veterans day in canada remembrance day and um so <laughs> i tell everybody to stay safe after uh at the end of every episode part of the reason why we're able to stay safe is because of the freedoms that we have so um 
I'm raising my uh, my beer to all the veterans out there. Thank you for your service. Everybody have a great week. Thank you.